please grab a Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 2. This is the fourth installment of a sermon series on the letter of 1 John, and we're finishing it up this morning. I mentioned every week that John writes in a cyclical structure. So he has these major themes, and really in chapters 1 and 2, he introduces those major themes, and then he just keeps coming back to them. So we've used chapters 1 and 2 sort of as a launching pad for each theme each Sunday. And so we're wrapping that up this morning. And one of the main questions that I want to ask you and I want you to begin thinking about is who do you let influence you? Who do you give permission to speak into your life? And I'm not just saying me because I'm standing up here actually speaking right now, but on a regular basis, who do you let influence you? Maybe it's a person or maybe it's a group of people. Uh, Maybe it's a a news outlet. Maybe it's social media or music or movies or, or I don't know, whatever it may be. Who are you giving permission to influence your life and to speak into your life? When it comes to influence, we teach children from a very early age the dangers of peer pressure. When you're hanging out with the wrong people and you let them influence you, they might pressure you into doing something you shouldn't do. Looking back over my own life, uh, not trying to place the blame, because some of it could be on me, but some of the dumber things that I've done have been because of peer pressure, because of the people that I surrounded myself with. Uh, My second senior year at ACU, I loved it so much, I went for a second senior year. (laughs) ACU was doing some improvements to their campus, and I'd watched them you know, dig out this hole for this pond and fill it in, put these nice rocks around it in the fountain. And it looked nice and fancy, and it was really just there for my last few weeks while at ACU. And one night I was hanging out with a group of guys, and somebody had the idea that we're going to go swim in that pond. And I said, no thanks. There's signs up, first of all, that say no swimming, and I don't have a desire to do it. But because I was hanging out with them, and they were influencing me, and they were very convincing, they persuaded me to go with them and to go swimming. So we walked past the no swimming signs, we hopped in, uh, we went swimming for maybe 20 to 30 minutes, got out, we're drying off, no big deal. It wasn't that much fun, but it wasn't bad either, Until and this is nighttime, until I look up, and here comes this guy who looks like some official representative of ACU. So I'm thinking, because of peer pressure, I'm going to wind up getting in trouble, But he walked up to us, and we weren't in that much trouble because this pond was really new. And he pointed us to the signs, again, that say no swimming. And we apologized. And then he said, by the way, that no swimming sign is up because this is sewage water. (laughs) So I spent 30 minutes swimming around in sewage water. Why? Because of the people I let influence me. The peer pressure that night, the people that were around me, I let them influence me. So the major question this morning is, who do you let influence you? And another way of phrasing that question is, what do you let influence you? Uh, We are on social media all the time. So the images that we see on social media, uh, the people that we follow, the celebrities that we like to look at when we're on social media, when we're on the internet, you know, what is it that we're giving permission to speak into our lives? Who is it? Think about the music that you listen to. Very rarely do we memorize anything anymore. But we can memorize songs. 
They're catchy. We listen to them over and over. And before we know it, we have songs. We have the lyrics memorized. So what kind of music are you letting influence you? Who is influencing you? What is influencing your life? Now, I mentioned last week, as we studied through 1 John, I think a lot of what John is writing about is commentary on what Jesus has already taught. You know, Jesus was his teacher, his rabbi. And the most famous sermon of all time, the greatest sermon of all time, is the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So you've heard this passage quoted before. Jesus teaches us not to judge. And in that same vein, Jesus teaches us to love others, to love our enemies. Teaches the Jews to love Samaritans, to have this all-encompassing love for humanity like God does. Right? And John borrows that same theme. And John says, love one another over and over. So we're taught to love people. Jesus teaches us not to be judgmental people, and we shouldn't be. When somebody comes to visit our church, we should love them and not first look at them and judge them. We should be non-judgmental people. So when it comes to who you let influence you, doesn't that mean you have to make a judgment call to decide who you're going to really let influence your life? In this same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7 If you scroll down to verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So in the same sermon and really in the same chapter where Jesus says, do not judge, he also says, watch out for false prophets. Watch out for people who are trying to mislead you. So that includes a judgment call. So my argument is, in light of everything that John has written about love and loving one another and Jesus teaching us not to be judgmental people, is that there is a way to be a loving person, a non-judgmental person, but at the same time exercise wisdom in who we let influence us. I have several friends who have made bad decisions in their lives and uh, at one point or another, We're battling an addiction. And I have several friends that are in addiction recovery. They've gone through 12-step programs that have really helped them. And these guys that I know are very loving. They follow Jesus and they love people. And because they have their own past, they're not really judgmental. But at the same time, because of what they've been through, because of the addiction that they struggle with, they are very cautious on who they let influence them. They guard their hearts. They're not going to go spend time with somebody who is participating in the drug that they're trying to recover from. So they're loving, they're non-judgmental, but they still exercise wisdom in who they let influence them. So our main passage this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2. And if you've studied through 1 John as we've gone through the sermon series, and up until this point, you're thinking he's avoided this whole antichrist stuff, well, today we're going to try to tackle it, okay? Uh, The early church was under a major threat, and that major threat is what John calls the Antichrist, a group of people who were trying to influence the thinking and the theological understanding of early Christians. 
So we're going to read a lengthy passage this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 27, I encourage you to follow along. I'm kind of a believer that you're going to get out of this what you put into it. So if you're willing to follow along, let's let the Word of God speak this morning, starting in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by going out, they made it plain that none of them belongs to us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. So in verse 18, John says, it's the last hour. Sounds a little bit cryptic, but what he means by that is since the incarnation of Jesus, since Jesus died on a cross, resurrected, and then went back up into heaven, the ascension, we're in the last days because Jesus promised And John was one of the men standing there when Jesus promised promised them this, that the same way they saw him go, he's going to come back. So they're in the last hour. We are in the last hour. We're in the last days. And he said, you've heard that an antichrist is coming, and now many antichrists have come. So it's important to try to have an understanding of what he means by antichrist. And who are they? And what do they do? And how have they come into the world? Uh, living in the first century, to which John was writing in, you know, they didn't have news, they didn't have TV, they didn't have social media, so news did not travel as quickly. And before Jesus, and after Jesus, and even during Jesus, different men would rise up and have a following and claim that they were the Messiah. These were known as pseudo-Christ, false messiahs. So you might be living in the village, and maybe you hear rumors That there's somebody in another village claiming to be the Messiah and he's doing miraculous things. And so you might think that's Jesus come back and that's false. These are known as false messiahs. But what John is referring to specifically here in this passage, he's not referring to false messiahs. That's not what he means by antichrist. He's not referring to people who are claiming to be the Messiah, but an antichrist, the definition is one who opposes Christ, an adversary, or an opponent. If you're looking at the Greek word, it can mean both against Christ and instead of Christ. This is the antichrist. It was a major threat to the early church because what he's calling the antichrist are those who are going around teaching that Jesus did not really come in the flesh or they deny the Son as he writes in chapter 2, and in chapter 4 he talks about how they deny the incarnation of Jesus. There was a popular, influential, intellectual group known as the Gnostics in the first century. 
You know, when John writes this, when he writes his gospel, when John writes this letter, it's many decades, a whole generation after Jesus goes back to heaven. So John is one of the oldest living apostles. So by the time he writes this, most of the people that are believers, that are disciples of Jesus, uh, they never saw Jesus in the flesh. They didn't know him like John knew him. So that's part of John's introduction. I can't help but tell about what I've seen and heard, and we've touched his resurrected body, the scars on his body. But the Gnostics believed that if God, if Jesus were God, there's no way that he would have subjected himself to being a human being, to having flesh, right? And they would teach that there's no way that he would uh, subject himself to having a body that could suffer death and decay and that needed to urinate and defecate and get sick and things like that. There is no way that God would subject himself to that. So Jesus only appeared to be a human being. He only seemed to be human, but he wasn't really a human. That was a popular thought during the time when John is writing this. So when John says, the Antichrist have come, the people that are teaching this are opposed to Christ. Because the core of the gospel is being threatened here. So John says the incarnation is true. Jesus was real, like his flesh was real. He also calls them false teachers. Or in chapter 4, he calls them false prophets. Uh, when I was younger, I attended a church camp, and my, the youth group I was a part of, and, and many other youth groups would go to this camp. And the hour before dinner one year, uh, they came up with a time slot in the schedule where it was a question and answer time. So all the campers were given a little note card, and you could write down any questions about the faith that you have, a theological question, a biblical question, a church question, and pass it up to the front. And we had different men up front, youth ministers, different adults who were volunteers, who would take these note cards and read through the questions, and if they felt like they had an answer, they'd grab the microphone, read the question, and then answer the questions. So there was all sorts of questions, because you're talking about junior high and high school kids. Some questions were, why does God allow suffering? Or how could a loving God send people to hell? That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. But then, at the same time, you had questions like, is it okay to clap after a baptism? Can I smile while we're worshiping? There were questions like that. So there were questions all over the place. So every day, for five days, these questions were read, and people were giving different answers. They had a whole variety pack going on during this time. And when we got back home, one of the adults that was in attendance, that was one of the ones helping answer questions, turned in a list to his elders. And the list was titled, False Teachers. The title of the list, False Teachers, and he went through, and he made a list of all the adults that were answering questions that gave answers to questions that he did not agree with. And according to him, that made them false teachers. That's not a false teacher. A false teacher is not somebody who gives an answer to something that you might have a different view on. So when John says false prophets or false teachers or antichrist, he is talking about people that are denying Jesus, that are denying that Jesus came in the flesh. And as you scan back over chapter 2, he says, the antichrists have left the community of faith. They've gone out from among us. Now, they're no longer a part of the church. And if they were teaching what is true, they'd still be a part of the church. In verse 22, he calls them liars. 
The truth is not in them, and we're going to come back to this word truth in just a moment. In verse 26, he says, they, they deceive you. Or some translations say, they seduce you. What they're teaching is wrong, but they're very convincing in that. That peer pressure is strong. Verse 27, he says, you do not need to be taught by them. You've already heard the gospel. You don't need to let them influence you. And then if you look to chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, do not be led astray by them. Do not let them deceive you. So in verse 21, he uses this word truth. Now, if you're familiar with John's writings, if you go all the way back to the gospel of John, truth is one of his favorite words. John has some key words that he uses, and truth is one of those. John chapter 1. Jesus comes full of grace and what? Truth. And John chapter 4, Jesus is having this conversation with the Samaritan woman, and he says, the Father is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When Jesus is on trial, and Pilate is talking to Jesus, he says, what is truth? So truth is one of John's favorite words. And he uses that word here in 1 John chapter 2. And he contrasts that with a lie because what the Gnostics were teaching, what the Antichrist were teaching was a lie. But Jesus is truth. And it's important to know the truth so that you will have the wisdom to detect a lie. If you are close enough to Jesus and you spend enough time in the word then you'll know what is truth and you'll know what is lie. And then he says they practice deception. They're trying to deceive you in verse 26. So he warns again, watch out for those trying to deceive you. So John essentially is warning the churches who read this to be careful about who you let influence you as a church and as individuals. So we could ask ourselves again the same question. Who do you let speak into your life? Who do you surround yourselves with? Who do you let influence you? And I realize that where some of you work or where some of you live, you you don't always have control over that. But you have control over how you influence others, and you have control over how they get to influence you. There's two observations that I have under this question. I think there's two extremes that sometimes we're tempted to take. One of those is, We wind up drawing lines where God does not draw lines. I've already mentioned a man who made a list of false teachers, and that was just according to his own line in the sand, not according to something biblical, but just his own line. I've known people who have gone to Bible classes, different church leaders even, who have told me, I'm not going back to that class. And I'll say, why not? And they say, I don't like what he taught on that subject. Well, they made me kind of uncomfortable. It was weird. It was different. So they just write somebody off, draw a line in the sand, and say, I'm done with that person. But that person is not an anti-Christ. They just have a different view on a particular subject. Sometimes if we disagree with someone, that's okay. When I was working on my master's, I started at Lubbock Christian University, transferred to Harding. So every class that I took, When we get the syllabus, when we get the book list that we had to buy and read for that semester, the professor would always tell us, you're not going to agree with every author. 
Some of it's going to make you uncomfortable, and that's okay. It's okay for you to be challenged and to be stretched. Because sometimes we draw a line in the sand, and if somebody says something that we disagree with on what would we call a, what we would call a disputable matter, then we write people off. We no longer listen to them. So we need to be careful when we're asking the question, "Who do we let influence us?" That so we don't draw the line in the sand too strong, but at the same time, we don't want to become too loose. Especially with the truth of Jesus, we don't want that to become confused, and that's what the early church was dealing with is that they were in danger of becoming too loose with who they let influence them. And John warns against that. Now, sometimes we can become so loose that we only let people influence us if they confirm a bias that we already have. Well, I'll watch this particular news agency or talk to this person or listen to this person because what they say is right because it confirms what I already believe. Or sometimes we let people influence our lives, speak into our lives, because we're in a season of sin, a deliberate season of sin, right? and, and we don't want to be told that we're wrong, we don't want to be made uncomfortable, so sometimes it's easier to just surround ourselves with people that will make us feel better about it. We need to be careful not to become too loose. So John says, who do you let influence you? And watch out for those trying to deceive you. Know the truth so that you can detect a lie. And then in chapter 4, Starting in verse 1, and he, he again uses one, he uses, he either calls them children, dear children, or beloved. And in verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and is now in the world. So he says, test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. And then in verse 2, he gives the criteria for that. Now, any spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is from God and has come in the flesh, that's a spirit that comes from God. Any spirit that denies that does not come from God. So test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. Watch out for false prophets. That's kind of the same line as false teachers, people who spoke about faith into the community. And don't believe every spirit. Don't believe everything that you hear. Again, use wisdom and caution on who you let influence you. Test the spirits. And I would add to that that most of us, most human beings, we kind of have this constant dialogue going on in our head. I'm not saying that everybody hears voices, but we have voices that we listen to. And we don't need to listen to every voice that we hear. We need to know the truth and become close enough to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that we know the voices that we're listening to in our own head either come from the Spirit or it's a lie from Satan. Test the spirits, he says. Do not believe every spirit. In verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That was our theme verse from last week. Verse 5, they are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. The world loves to hear itself talk. The world loves to confirm what it believes. And so he says, the world listens to the world. 
Verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, John is warning, who are we letting influence us? Who is, who is influencing the early church? And we ask ourselves the same question. Who do you let influence you? I think that is such an important question. It's important that as Christians we love everybody and we're not judgmental, but we still exercise wisdom in who we let influence us. But another way of asking the question is who do you want influencing you? Who do you want influencing your walk with Christ? Who do you want influencing your family? Now dream big for just a moment. When I was working on this earlier in the week, I, I wrote that down. Dream big. Who would I want influencing me? Maybe somebody that's long gone, that's passed away. Maybe it's a, a famous Christian author. Who knows what it would be? But if you could dream big, who would you want influencing you? I have a friend named Jared, and every week I talk to him on the phone. He's a, he's a minister at another church. And I go over my sermon with him and get his advice. And when he preaches, he goes over his material with me. And he's preaching this morning on 1 Corinthians 13 on love. And he called me the other day because he was wrestling with the same question. Who do you want to influence you? And there's a guy named Bob Goff. Some, I've mentioned his name before. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a book called Love Does. More recently, he came out with a book called Everybody Always, as in Love Everybody Always. He is becoming, and is already there, a very one of those famous celebrity Christian people, although he doesn't care about the celebrity status. But he's always talking about love, and he has some amazing stories. And in his book, Love Does, he publishes his cell phone number and says, call him if you need to. So Jared's working on this sermon on love, and he's thinking, you know, who, if you could dream big, who would you want influencing you? So he, had, he got Bob's number, and he thought, well, I'll give it a shot. He's probably not going to answer and he called him and he answered. And they had a 10-minute conversation about his sermon. So he wound up getting advice from his sermon from this guy named Bob Goff. That's dreaming big. So his sermon better be good this morning since he's getting advice from this guy. So who do you want influencing you? If you could dream big, who would that be? But also if you could, if you could dream realistically. If there is somebody in this church, somebody that's nearby... If you could dream realistically, who would you want influencing you? You know, at this church, we are committed. We are committed to becoming an intentional discipling community. And we're supposed to be discipling someone. Everybody's always discipling someone, but everybody is also being discipled by someone. So who do you let influence you? As you look at the world, you look at social media, you look at the music you listen to, but who do you want influencing you? Because you can have some control over that. You can look at people at this church and say, I want them to have more of an influence on my life. Well, go to lunch with them. Spend more time with those people. Who do you want to influence you? We become like the people we surround ourselves with. I heard a professor give a speech a couple months ago, and he talked about something called mirror neurons. And he talked about the way that, our, that God has created us and wired our brains as we have these things called mirror neurons, which basically means we imitate each other. We mirror each other. We become like the people we surround ourselves with. And he works at a university in the southern part of the United States. 
So he said every year they have students that come from up north with a northern accent, stay at that university for four months, go home for, Christ, for Christmas, and then they come back saying that everybody was commenting on how they developed a southern accent. Where'd that come from? Mirror neurons. We mirror each other. We become like the people we surround ourselves with. So who do you want to become? Who do you want to influence your life? Who are you letting influence your life? We need to love everybody. We need to reach out into our community, into the world, and reach people for Christ, but at the same time, guard our hearts. And that's what John is teaching. Love everybody, but don't love the world. And be careful on who you let influence you. Now, some of you this morning, maybe that's just something to ponder over today. And hopefully something you'll sit down and really think about and take serious. But for some of you, you may be thinking, I need to make some serious changes in my life. In just a second, we're going to offer what we call an invitation. We do this every week. You know, Tony will come back up, sing a few more songs. And, and I always announce we have shepherds that are standing in the back. We have elders. And one will be up front with me. And this morning, if you need prayers from our elders or you need to come up front and talk to us or set up a time to talk further in the future about who Jesus is and maybe some of the changes you need to make in your life, well, start today by finding one of our shepherds or coming up front. Well, I'm going to invite everybody to stand back up and let's continue singing. The splendor.